I have back one of my actual favorite guests that I've had on before. I was just on his show, Adam Liscor. Thanks for coming back. Thank you so much for this, for inviting me back to talk about something really interesting. And uh, no, it was such a good time having you on the show with Noah, Kalina, and I on uh, on our show, All Consuming, to talk about cameras. Um, obviously, your area of expertise. And uh, a lot of people liked it. We got good feedback. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Well, and it was especially exciting because we could do it in person. So, you know, yeah. you and I got to meet for the first time. That was nice. Yep. So it seemed like good follow-up to your episode, which obviously anybody listening should go check out All Consuming, um, which I, I don't know if you if you caught it, but in my um, 2022 wrap-up, love like, here's my favorite stuff of the year. You guys were my podcast choice for the whole year. So uh, hopefully really people are sweet. already familiar with it. Thank you, Tyler. And um, yeah, so anybody that doesn't know Adam... In his work, uh, his company is Sandwich Video. You make the best commercials on the internet, and uh, I don't know. I j you've also just been around the internet since um, I started caring about it in a lot of ways, and I've always appreciated your podcasts and not only your creative work, but that you, th you you're not just putting things out, but you're thinking about it and talking about it and open sometimes, which I like. I love seeing those peaks behind the scenes. And today, the big topic that I've been delaying for too long is that we want to talk a bit about AI. Um, which, uh, it, I, I'm almost, I'm almost nervous approaching it because it's been kind of humming in the background of every ep other episode that I've done. I like make allusions to it in videos, but I've been too daunt. It's too daunting to tackle like the whole thing all at once, but that's what I want us to tr try to do in the same, episode. where same. are I, we, I, where are we going? Yeah. I allude to it on my podcast as well, but Noah just does not want to talk about it. He is not a fan. He's kind of like real grumpy about it. So like it's always with hesitation that I bring up any anything related. Uh so I've been looking for this forum, this format to talk to talk out my thoughts. Um and you're a very smart person with a ton of insight on uh what's happening in tech. So this is going to I think this this will be this will be So fun. buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> buckle up. It's um, going to get real artificial. You know, I I'd, I'd also love to dig in with I mean, not that he'd want to, but to, with Noah about why he doesn't want to talk about it, because I actually think that's kind of a common sentiment. Like looking at my Twitter feed, you know, every, every two or three tweets seems to be about, and you're not, you're not doing Twitter anymore. So maybe it's different over on Mastodon or whatever. If you're, if you're on any feed based platforms at the moment, but like half the comments are about new AI announcements and the other half are about how they're sick of hearing about AI. And I'm still a little, um, I get that people maybe don't like it. Like they don't like the results of AI, but the, the attitude of like, Oh, I'm just tired of hearing about it. Like talk about something else. This is old news. I can't wrap my head around that. I kind of don't know where that feeling is coming from. Not that they'd say it's old news. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's an exhaustion. I think with that, that people associate with a hype cycle and potentially some of it is PTSD from the NFT hype cycle from the crypto hype cycle. Cause there was so much of that and it's possible that the, the, there's this feeling of like uh, this again, or, or they got burned the first time around. I got very excited about blockchain stuff and NFTs and then it was super annoying all at once. Um, and I think that it, the exhaustion is probably from people who haven't really touched the potential of it yet or haven't connected with the vision yet. 
And let's be clear, not everybody does. And that's okay. You know, that's, that's really okay if you don't see the vision yet. Eventually, I think you will. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's built on artifice like the, um, the NFT phenomenon was where it was like everything was promise and vision of an unknown and then never really over promise and under deliver. Exactly. And every bit of what we've seen in AI development, which is happening incredibly quickly for the past few months, especially has been neutral promise and way over deliver and people who care about it are using the tools and saying repeatedly to themselves over and over every day, holy shit, it just did that. And then there was an update. And I remember this. So I drive a, I've been a Tesla driver for many years and you know, that was kind of the first car that had a firmware update over the cloud, you know, on the, over the, over the air from the cloud. And, and, and I would use autopilot, the, um, the thing that steers for you and accelerates and decelerates for you. And remember when I first got the car, it worked pretty good. And then there was an over the air update and then it worked a lot better. And I was like, wow, you know, my car just learned something and that was AI. Yeah. Obviously that was AI. That was like the, the machine learning improving on itself. Um, but I just think, yeah, right, right now, people who get it are really, really getting it and really excited and it's, it's overwhelming and it's dizzying. So I don't know. Where do you think the exhaustion comes from? Well, I think there's, there's a, there's a valid response and one that I think is not, not, not reasonable. And the valid one is to hate it. Like it is okay to see all this coming, be afraid of it, be frustrated at the changes that might come to humanity might, um, you know, be both for personal reasons. Like maybe it potentially could have a negative effect on how you see yourself fitting into your own industry. Um, that, that type of fear I think is completely reasonable and people can voice that perspective. Um, or just being concerned about how it's going to shape society in general. Maybe, you know, every time there's a big technological change, there's going to, it means we operate differently in the world and you can be worried about that and dislike what you see coming with AI. Those are reasonable criticisms. The only one that doesn't make sense to me is this, is this, um, dismissal of it because it, it is just so, I think the, the reason it's getting tied to that similar NFT crypto hype feeling is almost a branding mistake of that AI became a brand on its own. And like anything that is, you know, s s smart in a way, a computer doing something that feels, has some human feeling to it, gets branded as AI. And it's, it's just not in a lot of ways. Um, AI is a very fuzzy term that can mean a lot of things. And even amongst professionals working in the field, you're going to get def different definitions about what we're even talking about when we talk about AI. So I think people are hearing like AI is going to change everything. And it, th you know, there's large language models. There's like the generative image stuff. There's uh, machine learning and all of these are operating a little bit differently. And they mean that different products are going to come. And it's not like crypto where you know, maybe we're going to find a use for this interesting technology. It's already integrated into systems that we've been using for a few years now. And it's just a rapid acceleration recently 
of what the, the best of those systems are able to do. They're suddenly able to do so much more than they could before, but they were, they had already proven themselves as useful. Now they've just become a lot more useful. So there isn't that question about, is this actually going to be part of our lives? It's just how, uh, it's surprising how quickly it seems like it'll be much more integrated into absolutely everything that we do. Oh, so. absolutely. It was a, it was a shift in the evolution of what we, what we conceive of as AI very quickly that was proven out by us being able to use it because most of us, our experience with AI, you know, as an assistant is, has been Siri or Alexa or, 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 you know, Google home or anything like that, which responds to a very narrow scope of instructions and responses. And I think that what my own definition of AI is that instead of just following the instructions that it's given, it learns to adapt and sort of give itself its own instructions that it assumes that will be better instructions than the ones, the, the, than the ones that it was specifically given by a coder or a user or something. Um, and obviously this is, like you said, this is, this has existed for so many years, but it's just gotten really good and exposed to everyday consumers who don't need a, you know, an engineering degree to use it where we can like literally engage with it using natural language and and it's just, it's a beautiful demo. And I think that th this is a really interesting consideration I want to ask you about because we've got generative AI on the visual image side. I'm seeing my hands here. <laughs> I wish <laughs> if this was generative AI, I'd have 19 fingers. Um, <laughs> you know, there's like the image stuff, there's the Dolly and mid journey stable diffusion stuff. And then there's the natural language large language model stuff, the, the chat GPT and, um, Bing and, and, and llama or whatever Facebook has. Um, and really the image stuff was released into the zeitgeist before the language stuff. And I wonder whether that was a mistake or whether that was backwards or whether that was a great thing. And what was the impact of that order of being released? Because people get less upset about the language stuff, about the text, you know, the, the, the natural yeah. language processing stuff. People are a lot less, um, uh, a lot more forgiving with that stuff and feeling a lot less threatened because we engage with, we engage with each other with text. Nobody doesn't use language in some format and, uh, image creation is relegated to a specific domain. And so I think, the th it can be a threat to people who make images as a matter of practice or for a living that something is doing it for you and you know to a certain aptitude that might be ch challenging your aptitude what do you think about that what if they were river what what if they came out in different order yeah i think it was very surprising to all of us to see the images sort of leapfrog i think we're used to seeing text uh, we, we were used to seeing text ahead of time because computers have been offering us text for so long. And so in, in that case, it was more a matter of the quality improving quickly. You know, we chatbots were supposed to be a big thing three years ago. Um, I remember Facebook was pitching that like, all oh, your customer support's all going to be chatbots. And mm -hmm. it was unfortunately, but it's all <laughs> almost useless. Like, you know, yeah. I'm sure you've run into a few of them. Like, 
it is just a, it's like searching an FAQ. That's all that it is. It's a slightly modified interface. Totally. So, bad, for su- bad, bad for customer support, just <laughs> endlessly frustrating. Never knows what we yeah, want. Yeah, bad for everyone. Yeah. And so we were used to there being something like this, and it was much more about, oh, wait, all of a sudden it is good. It can understand yeah. natural language and respond with it. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I don't know what difference it would have had. Although I'll, let's, let's maybe push that a little later, the controversies, because I'm really, I'm really interested in th- that sure. difference of response. Whenever I post about the image stuff, um, there are a lot of people that are continually angry and especially with, uh, what corridor corridor crew has done recently, um, mm-hmm. their anime stuff. But, um, let's take, let's start a little earlier and, and try to figure out what, what are we talking about here? Especially for anybody that maybe hasn't spent as much time in it as we have. Um, sure. Traditionally, you know, the overall idea of AI, I think a lot of people get it from, you know, movies. There's a movie called AI, which I actually haven't seen. I need to go back and watch it because it was kind of a dud when it came out. But I, I want to watch it through a new lens. Like, go back and watch her. I, wa- I watched her again for uh, like a few yeah. weeks ago. And it's interesting how much it got and how much it missed. Um, it's what always... do you think it missed? Um. I think that it, in the world of her, we were going to receive a lot of the information through our ears, like a lot of our interface with the larger information space through the internet was going to be delivered through just listening to an assistant talk to us. And I don't think that's happening because it's very slow. It's like a very inefficient mechanism for delivering, for exchanging information. Um, but it fully got like, I, and I think that it's probably her is probably three years into the future from where we are now in terms of our assistance, our AI assistance, having being a presence in our life that are is per- persistent, that retains information about us and helps guide us and make decisions with a continuity from process to process. Cause I don't think we're there yet. And I don't think, that might be by design that might be by limitation who knows i mean like i know that's what i'm excited about um is i don't want to have to context switch to a different ai every time i'm using a different tool or source of information or app or whatever i don't want it to have a different user interface i don't that would be like having to use a different keyboard for every you know text input right. you know if you know in your email you use one keyboard and no our, that are engaging with the ai is our user interface right now and it will be for you know foreseeable future it'd be like in the days where you'd buy those rubber covers that have all of the photoshop keys laid out on <laughs> right, it right or but they had them for off final the rubber cut, and then you put it on the final cut one and that's the right. idea is you're going to have a stack of these that you're swapping out i don't know how people would use this but. yeah we were going to skin physical objects to mm-hmm. have different diff- different digital contexts but i think that soon hopefully in the world of her and in our future world, we will have one continuous inner interface with anything that requires assisting us with a digital tool or a digital source yeah. of, of information. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Um, having one primary input. Um, although an interesting thing to hearing you speak about it, it sounds, it sounds to me like you have a little more optimism than I necessarily do. Cause I, 
I'm I'm very I'm fascinated by it, and I want to know everything I possibly can. Uh, I want to be a part of it as it moves forward, but I'm I'm also nervous. I'm not totally. I'm not convinced that it's going to be all positive. Um, even with even just on a, a small scale, like just look at the individual getting a little her in the ear, um, not sort of distorting things socially. Sorry, you have one earbud, just like. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix does <laughs> yeah, in the exactly. movie. I mean, <laughs> we're surprisingly close already. But that, you know, just that that distortion of what happens in the movie of that, you know, he, for anyone that hasn't seen it, the overall, not to spoil anything, but, you know, they kind of have a, a romance. He falls in love with his his AI. And I actually think that's a very real problem. You know, that act 100% is capable of happening. Oh, absolutely. There's a startup called Replica where people are, you know, are apparently falling, becoming incredibly attached to their, to their assistants, to their bots. And so all of this is, is referring to what traditionally would be thought of as general AI, um, which is not exactly gen- where most people, generative well, no, AI, like, uh, sort of like human level, like, Oh, this, uh, when artific- say AGI, AI, it's called. Yeah. Artificial general intelligence. Yeah. That's what the, that's what they're referring to. Which is what I think most people imagine that all of it is. Um, and that is, that's like the stated goal of open AI. That's what they want to make, right? Like all of this is to have a, a human level and general intelligence, meaning that it's not specific to one category. It doesn't just play chess. It doesn't just create images. It can think and reason and be creative in similar ways to how humans are and then effectively instantly surpass us. That's part of the interesting challenge is that as soon as it's at par with human, it's inherently also surpassed us because it's already better at certain things. I mean, mathematics being a simple example. Right. The singularity as, you know, envisioned by Ray Kurzweil what, decades ago was the point at which machines become as smart as us so that they can figure out how to make themselves smarter than us. And then and that that's the event horizon. That's where they surpass which he forecasted as 2030, right? He 20, he, 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 that's the year that he kind of marked and it feels like it's reasonably on target, you know, seven years from now, AGI seems plausible. Yeah. I think so too. When I think about it, yeah, I think three, three to 10 years sort of, dep- a lot of it's depending on how you define it, because I know different groups of thinkers will categorize it differently. And in some cases they'd already say that we're there depending on the parameters you're looking for with with that intelligence. Um, but uh, I think it's hard. Yeah. Hard to deny that some level of it will be around the corner any minute now. And probably the biggest missing piece from her is that, that memory that is able to track its own conversations and interactions. Remember who you are, remember what you like. Um, that's, that's a big missing chunk still in her. You remember how he's onboarded (laughs) into the, what they call They call it an operating system, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and he, you know, he plugs it into his computer or whatever. He downloads it into his computer, which is that cool, you know, future sort of Apple, Apple meets Ikea, uh, you know, like, you know, uh, desktop display. They call he downloads this OS and the OS basically says, can I have permission to go through your entire digital life? And he's like, sure. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, now I know everything about you. I'm Samantha. Um, I sound just like Scarlett Johansson. And how are you not going to fall in love with me right now? Because I I'm just right. a figment of your, of I'm a I'm a I'm you in in a in a form that is incredibly appealing. 
you know, like sexually and sure. acoustically appealing. Um, and like, I just think, I, I think it's so funny that in that world of her, he just sees a billboard at the train station and it's like announcing this new AI. Oh, that's cool. I think I might try that. I might download that because, but, but it, you know, it's, it, it kind of feels a little similar to where we, nobody was really expecting mm-hmm. this. And to a lot of people that weren't following this development, um, or even to people that were following, it did feel like this, just like, oh, it's just here. I mean, I remember the first moments I showed it to friends. Uh, it was just like around a, a dinner and I was like, look this chat, look at what this text box can do. And the example I showed was I was like, okay, write in Instagram caption, um, about we were on a trip and I was like, write it about, uh, you know, Thailand. And it writes one, and uh, the, the the guy I'm with is like, "This is great. This is an Instagram writing tool." Uh, and I'm like, "Well, no. I mean, it can do it can do anything. It's like, but it can do hashtags as well." And I'm just like, "Yeah, yeah, it can do hashtag." You know, yeah. I, I think for a lot of people that aren't thinking about the higher level stuff about this, it's like, "How is this a product? How does this fit into a really specific set of things where 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 my head is at currently?" And it's gonna be. It just does have this strange like consumer product relationship where if you've been thinking about it since childhood, since I think so, which I think both of us probably have, it's, it feels much bigger than that, right? It feels like a a piece in the puzzle of a story that's been in the making since we got interested in, in computers. Yeah. Um, Since you bring that up of dreaming about it for our whole lives, I think that I've, it's something I've been thinking about a bit, which is what is the psychological profile of somebody who's been obsessed with the future of AI for a long time, maybe their whole, their whole life. And I think it's those of us who are very excited and attracted to the idea of having a companion, some, some, some entity that understands us, that we can help shape its understanding of us. That's not necessarily as complex as another human <laughs> with its own with its own needs and complications and and you know miscommunications and everything because the promise of tech is that it'll understand what we need from it that's what tech well, has let always me ask you, been let me ask you this do you enjoy character building in video games like do you like that step at the start of the game where you get to choose the hairstyle and the clothing to be honest, no, like, it's not something that I, like, I'm not a games, I'm not a games person. So, um, like I enjoy writing characters into the work that I do. I enjoy styling characters, you know, fictional characters and sort of building worlds around them. So I think it's a similar thing. It's just different context. Well, and the way that you describe it actually pretty well captures my concerns about it, that there'll be that, that synthetic personality will just be much more appealing, especially to young people. I think about myself using a tool like this, like let's say use the version that's three years away where this is integrated into Siri. Um, I could see myself getting really caught up in it because talking to real people was hard. It was, it was a lot more challenging than everything I was doing on the computer, you know, playing uh, video games and talking to NPCs was a lot more comfortable. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be so appealing to have um, a synthetic being that does understand you that how do we talk people out of spending all their time with it? You know, um, it's, uh, it's yeah, no, I, I totally hear you. I think it's valid. I, I think that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of fiction that's around this idea, including the movie AI. It's, you know, the little AI David Haley Joel Osment is, is a, 
a robot that was like purchased for a little boy as a companion. And there's like a lot of movies about that, that similar kind of thing. I think Megan, the horror movie, I don't like horror movies, <laughs> sure, but I think that's what it's about. It's kind too. of the same. Yeah. Um, I think that I, I think of it differently. I, I, I have a therapist and I talk to her every week and she guides me and helps me navigate things that, you know, decisions that I have to make and helps me process a lot of what's going on in my life. I think that in its highest form, that's what an AI can be to every single one of us is in a sense, a therapist. It can be a life coach. It can be a like sort of medical adjacent practitioner. It can help you make good meals. It can assist you and guide you through all these different, in all these different ways, but it's still, my therapist is still my therapist. She's not my friend. What she does help me do is ha be better with my own friends. You know, she helps me be better for myself so that I can re relate better with other people. And I think that it in, in its highest form, that's what an, a an AI companion can do for everybody is be there for us when we need, when we need them, when we need guidance so that we can be better when we're not, not when we're without them so that we can be better with each other that's why i'm optimistic that's why i see that open ai sam altman agi you know extremely utopian vision for the world is that i think that in its best form ai can be therapy for every single one of us and think about what the world would be how different the world would be if if everybody had there you know if everybody had a guide you know Right. To, to sort of like managing life better. Well, to imagine your side, to, to give a little bit to that argument, the best version of this should also understand that the repercussions to a human of spending all their time only socializing with an AI would be negative. And right. I think it's something almost missing from a lot of the time that we talk about something that would be human level intelligence, it can go through all the reasoning that we do. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't have some roadblock where it's like, you know, it, it does it, you know, it, it would understand that like humans need sunshine, humans need other humans around them. It wouldn't be mm -hmm. limited to being selfishly trying to just like, well, no, just, spend, well, unless ads are part of it, but just spend right, more time exactly. with me. Like, let's just hang out all the time. Hopefully it would push you towards something better. But I I'm also, so. I'm and just generally skeptical of any utopia utopian vision of any kind of future because it's very easy for cracks to form that we weren't expecting and we end up somewhere that isn't that yeah. best case scenario. Oh, absolutely. I was utopian about social media as well. Like when Twitter first came around, oh, what a beautiful way for us to all interconnect, <laughs> you know, and understand each, achieve greater Turns understanding <laughs> of each other and humanity. And there were all these cracks, right? And the cracks got filled by the worst actors. Um, so is there the potential for that to happen? Absolutely. But what you sort of hope for is that a couple of things. Number one, there's a way to build a sort of an ethical code into the technologies that are developed, into the models that are used, uh, that, 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 that our own, you know, companions are, you know, are, are sort of adhering to. Um, and number two, what it might just be that in the aggregate, each of us having our needs met in this way, in this new technologically enabled way will be enough regardless of what the, the, 
ethical moral code of is is of each of these these models that we that we base the AI off of, it might be enough to sort of propel us forward towards being better with each other. You know, if I have my needs met, then I might be better at helping other people have their their mm. needs met. And I think that's the promise. I mean, it sounds it all sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're right. But and that's well, why we okay, don't want ads to creep in, right? We don't we yeah, we don't no want kidding. it to be corrupted. And we have an interesting, useful model of how a previously utopian optimistic technology got corrupted and toxified and it resulted mm. in horrible things happening. Well, and part um, of my concern too is looking at the Bing rollout, which was, you know, from Microsoft's perspective, did not go the way they wanted. It ended up having some pretty affectionate and aggressive conversations that they did not want to be happening on a, you know, multi-billion dollar search platform. And um, their inability to foresee or control that ahead of time is a bit of a sign that of how little understanding there might be from some of the major players working on these projects. Oh, I feel like I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, and that uh, and that this just may not be in their control as much as we would hope, you know, or, or yeah. that the, the, the pressure to release it at speed is just too intense for them to resist because somebody else is right behind them releasing a competitive product. I also want to put a little timestamp on when we're doing this as well. Like we're recording at a moment where just recently GPT four was announced, uh, mid journey five samples are out and I don't want to be talking about the news, but just if for anybody listening in the future, like this is, this is where we're coming from, you know, Bing just came out. We, uh, we're, it's like, we are basically at the point where, um, it was, I mean, it literally feels like yesterday, this was just the fall and now we're in the spring where the text got good. Um, and by, already we're at large commercial projects being released fully to the public, which I think is part of even my, my concern is I, I look at the abilities of this, um, and, and seeing some of the things that GPT-4 is able to do as well. And I'm like putting this into the hands of literally everybody absolutely has some major risks to it as well. You know, it's, it would be different if this was a sort of a more limited release. Maybe it, it's, even if it was just uh, ex expensive enough that it was only in the hands of businesses, less people would be able to monkey with it. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, sure. I, yeah, no, they're constraining it a, a little bit like GPT four access is uh, my understanding is that it's limited to people GPT plus subscribers. You know, well, twenty dollars. Twenty so bucks a month. A, yeah, I, I just yeah, not I, mean, a I wasn't huge paying barrier. before. I just paid it to get in. Yeah, right. Sure. And also, access to the API is being rolled out. So I don't have access to the API right now. I have access to G, GPT three point five API, which is which is a really great one. Um, and so, and then also, the, you know, this new model, the GPT four model, is t the tokens cost ten times as much as the previous version. So they are sort of like, they're constraining it with economics a little bit as well. I think that they're trying to be careful. Um, and hopefully it works. It <laughs> works. <laughs> but well, I, I, I do think that the principle is correct to, 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 to help people make useful things with it. And it really, in, in the context of history, it feels like when the iPhone SDK, had just come out and people were building apps 
And it was overwhelming very quickly, right? It was overwhelming. What apps should I use? And like entire magazines would be, Macworld would be dedicated to like, here are the apps you need to be using. And it was because it was so exhausting. It was in, you know, I think that's kind of where we are in parallel with AI right now. Well, let's do a little bit of a check of like what has been interesting so far. Uh, I was looking at the, you know, kind of the dates of announcements and it's, we're actually about a year into things being really in the mainstream in terms of, it was about a year ago that Dolly 2 started really circulating and people seeing what it could do. Um, you know, it's, uh, the text stuff is a lot more fresh, but we've had the image stuff for a while. Um, what, what has your, been in, your impression one year in, in terms of like, what do you see people actually using? What are some real world applications that have been interesting? Because I've still found myself playing more than using for any sort of heavy lifting. And I, I feel like I'm the perfect person to need this because I need to do creative writing and visual production and I'm not good at illustrating. So having a computer do it for me is helpful. And there are so many things that I've found that I'm like, I see all the promise here, but I haven't really created many things that I couldn't before. Um, and I'm, I'm so, I don't know what, what's that year been like for you? It's a great question. Um, my context is that I've, so for those who don't know, I, founded a creative studio called sandwich that makes commercials mostly for tech companies. So I've been working with cutting edge tech for the last almost 13 years. And we've been working with AI companies for probably six years. Right. Um, uh, and you know, very recently we did a commercial within the last year, we did a commercial for uh, Jasper, which is the AI writing tool for marketing specifically for marketing purposes. And when I worked with Jasper, I didn't have quite a grasp on what was about to come, what was about to happen. Cause it just felt, felt like very cool. Okay. So it can take your writing and it can generate it into a style that is better for customer facing stuff, or it can help you do support emails, or it can help you do client outreach or social media posts. That's very cool for marketers. Great for marketers. Um, I didn't quite understand that it was going to be wide reaching like it is. Um, now, as soon as I started to see that the technology can be shaped and you can like, you can take stable diffusion and with a little bit of Python code, you can train it on your own images and make really cool stuff based on your own face or like my family's or, you know, one, one thing that was fun for me to do was I, I used Dreambooth, uh, which is a, a, like a, a way to train stable diffusion. I trained it on all of the team portraits from my, from my company's website, um, which are all of the portraits are shot in a very specific sort of style. And then like, I trained a model on these portraits and then I said, uh, basically like, you know, gave it a prompt to create, to create more of these team portraits. And it just started inventing people, a lot of whom <laughs> looked like real people with weird sure. quirks and ex eccentricities who are all on the sandwich team now. And it was, <laughs> it was incredible. It was so funny to watch. And that, but that was before all the text stuff started happening. And then, and then like when, when that first, uh, that with that first wave of innovation happened with Dolly and everything, the the ad agent the ad world was saying okay cool we can use this for reference imaging we can images we can use it for 
making decks, you know, anything that we would usually go to a library for or screen grabs from movies or whatever, we can just generate images. Okay, fine. Then when the tech stuff started happening, that's where it really took flight for me because then it becomes a writing assistant, then becomes a creative tool that you can incorporate in your own creative practice. Not in the sense that it's going to replace you, but in the sense that it's going to augment your capabilities. It's going to make everything that you do maybe slightly easier or maybe a lot easier. And now I belong to this really awesome uh, community that I found this person. Her, her name's Rachel Woods. I found her on TikTok. She's a, like an AI. She was a former data scientist and startup founder. Now her mission is to help people understand all of the new AI stuff that's and it's not for a specific purpose. A lot of the influencers you see out there are just like, here's how you can, you know, it's get rich quick stuff and <laughs> mostly in marketing. Yeah, but I she's think. all about the education and the knowledge sharing. And so she created this community and it's on Slack. It's called the AI Exchange. And it's such a beautiful place to be because everybody there just wants to help each other learn and wants to share what they have done recently with with all the tools. And yeah, there are a lot of marketing people in there that are like, I used it to train it on my, you know, my style of responding to business leads and then generate a whole set of new leads um, or new, uh, responses or, or outreach or whatever. I'm having a bad time. Uh, I'm having a hard time. Um. This is actually a, a good example of what I worry about, though, is that like as as that even even with emails or script writing, I know that. I'm worse at navigating cities because I, I really lean into Google maps and I love, I love maps. It's very helpful to me. It's how I get around in life, but it has made my mental model of cities terrible. And that will happen with communication as we write less of it ourselves too. I don't want the whole show to be just me injecting uh wet blankets on everything. Cause I actually don't really no, wet blankets. Are, wet blankets are really important because like on the other side of that wet blanket is a dry blanket. <laughs> Right. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, you know, like I think if you're identifying problems along the way, then you're just one step closer to a solution. It's really important to bring all this stuff up. So, you know, for instance, if you think that we're going to become weaker communicators when we start relying on AI to communicate on our behalf, then what's the solution to that? We try to engage with AI that helps us retain our community our strengths in communication so it needs to have some built-in level of not understanding what we say so it's like huh pardon i, I think that <laughs> like makes you that makes you clarify more often you're making a joke but i think that the is it the socratic method that is that's part of the the user interaction with ai is that it gets better when it asks you questions um because what people a lot of the, the skepticism, the healthy skepticism that came with people, the first wave of people trying out GPT and saying, boo, this sucks, is when they give it one prompt and they expect a perfectly formed answer, you know, almost like it's a search engine, right? Where you you type something into Google, you expect it to give you exactly the the, the right list of 10 things that you needed. But it's not that. It's It requires dialogue. It's communication with the machine. And the machine is there to help you help it solve your problems. And I think once people started to understand that, that they can help shape it for their own benefit, 
that's when it started to really be, to, to click for a lot of people. A version of that we have just seen previewed is uh, both Duolingo, which I'm using right now, so it's especially relevant to me. Um, what are you showed learning? off their their comp Polish, learning oh, Polish or trying to. Yeah. Um, but it uh, will now have this conversational chat element that you know asks you in 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 your native language, like how would you say this, and you respond back, and it guides you through natural text of like what you know why the decision you made was close but not quite right because you might conjugate this verb differently and it will have that dialogue that you're describing all in an effort to teach you the language more effectively which that example would absolutely be more effective than the more simplistic way that it teaches now and then the other example was Khan Academy announced that they'll be integrating this as well. So if you're going through their example was that you're going through some math tutorials and you're click the little chat bot and you're like, I need a little bit of help with this. And it will look at the question and prompt you with questions of like, okay, well, you know, in this case, like what would the denominator be? Like, it's going to basically give you clues like a video game, but completely context aware. And you can have that conversation back and forth like you would with a human tutor so that it is still having you reach for that information in your own mind. It's not just providing the answers, but walking you towards a better understanding of the topic. So seeing those examples does make me feel a bit more hopeful because that's something that could suddenly be available to everybody, um, you know, allow teaching and tutoring to scale in a way that uh, it's never been able to before. Absolutely. And we are still in the phase of learning how this UI works, right? How to even basically type or use the mouse. I remember when I set up a Mac for my grandma years and years ago, because she was newly on her own and I thought she needed to have email and I had to teach her like the little arrow on the screen that does what you, what your hand does when you're, and then what do I do? And then, Oh, and then I just hit that button and she had to learn it from scratch. And it was so bizarre from, you know, um, from a technological per perspective, because these things that we take for granted, somebody else comes to you fresh. And I think that's kind of where we are is we we're learning this UI. So we know like, what are the rules? Like, can I ask it to ask me questions so that it understands more of what I need? And I think further down the line, the AI will know to do it itself, to do that itself. And GPT-4 already knows to do that, do that itself. I saw somebody on the AI exchange screenshotted a, um, a thing from earlier today that they, uh, there was a seminar, like a video seminar. They used a tool to auto transcribe it, threw it into a tool into GPT four to tran to, uh, summarize it. But then GPT four shared the summary and outline form and said, it didn't really give you good example. It's a GPT four said, this person didn't really give you good examples of the principles that, that it, that it talked about. <laughs> so here are a few of those. You know, mm -hmm. based on the based on my understanding of what it talked about, here are some good takeaways for you. Like that's mind blowing. That's the tool figuring out how to make itself a better tool. Right, it is mind blowing. I mean, maybe I, I should have had a reserved a whole section of this podcast to just us saying "wow" for a while because I know it's going to be so easy as this stuff. Like I. 
why isn't this whole episode just started off with a moment of silence for <laughs> the amazement of how of where we are right now? Um, I, that's, like, that's it, such it, a it, good even, That's a good point. It, like, if we do more of these, which we should, we should just have a wow, a, a, a wow segment yeah. in every episode. Yeah, I mean, this, and I think that's what a lot of people are bored of seeing is all the wows because for some reason they're not as wowed as as we are. But even the best example of this to me is the moment of all of the selfies. Like you were talking about Dream Booth. I, I was playing with that as well before the apps started doing it. And before I wasn't Lenza, getting the best yeah. results. Mm. Yeah, I got better results through Lenza. But still, that, that selfie moment happened. And I have never seen a meme burn hotter and faster. And then it was done. <laughs> and everybody's like... Great. Okay, I made I made some goofy selfies. Like now, what? Like this, that, yeah. like this AI thing is so overhyped because I'm like, what? What do I do with all these selfies that I just made? It's like, right. do you not do you not see anything past this? I mean, like <laughs> this ability to train it to understand any subject and not just you, but your product or your house or your it just it can understand anything that you train it on and generate <laughs> anything you can imagine around this, like. Uh, I mean, the, the, and, and it's, it's like, it's right there. It is so close. Um, like the, the example that goes through my head the most, and I haven't had anywhere to really express this. So maybe I'll try to take a second to describe it here, but is, um, you know, I used to do web design and actually my background was in stock photography. Um, as I stock photos, my first job out of college and then Getty images. So all of this, like image libraries being replaced is, is really interesting to me. But in that web design era, you know, what, like those tools, I could see that happening very quickly where it's like, give me 20 layout ideas for a restaurant website. And obviously that's like relatively simple. It can draw all the boxes and create all the shapes. And it's like, okay, cool. Now start filling them in. Give me a ton of color options. Give me sad color options. Give me classy. Give me funky. Give me, you know, you, uh, the image, the, like, obviously the images are generated, but they can be generated based on the food photos that you trained it on. Like, Take a photo of all your dishes just with a point and shoot camera and a flash. Now give all of those good like lighting. So it looks like the food, but like make it look pretty. Um, you know, take, take those same kind of photos of all your staff. Okay. Now make them look like they're shot by Annie Leibovitz. Um, you know, all of the, and that's maybe a little more advanced, but like what could happen right away as well is, uh, you know, choosing font options. There's no reason that it can't understand that because already if you go into mid journey, you can say design, uh, design a website for whatever category I was trying it for like a replacement for my wife's blog. I was like, give me a fashion blog and make it light and airy. And it, the, they all look great. They look like real good websites that a designer would create. Now just professionalize those tools so that a real designer can expand upon them and work with them and develop them further. And that, I mean, that stuff blows my mind and it, does not remove the creative person from the process, but it just means the amount that one person could create is just exponentially more. And That's, we're like with this we're so close to that. We're very, very close. And some of these tools exist and some of them don't work great yet, <laughs> yeah. but we're, we're still present in the process. Like you said, as editors, which we will hopefully be for a long, long time. We we're the ones who make, who get to make the decision to publish or not, or, choose this one over that one. Um, and if what we are as creative people as editors, anyway, if you're, you know, if, if you're a photographer, you're shooting a thousand pictures and choosing one that represents your, your work. If you're me, you're shooting for hours of dailies and you're 
assembling it together into two minutes of the best stuff assembled in the right order. Um, I think that the decisions we make are the very human part of the process, hopefully. And, you know, there's a future where algos take over that part of the process too. And they optimize on our behalf and they say, well, okay, these are your five options, but you're going to want to use option number two because that's going to perform the best. That's going to algorithmically. Yeah. I AB tested I, it with my AI friends and they liked it. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, um, oh gosh, the demo from the GPT four announcement yesterday, the one where he sketched hand sketched, a you know, a website, right? Because it's mo- it, GPT four is what they call multi multi multimodal now in that it interprets image as well as text. This, the guy sketched out a rough wireframe of a website that tells you a joke with ink on a notepad, took a picture with his phone, sent it through the discord interface to GPT four and GPT four turned it instantly into HTML or, you know, working JavaScript, uh, that he published in, it's now a joke telling website within seconds, within se- right? Oh, my God, bizarre. What's so hard to imagine, what I can't wrap my head around, is that this recording will be a time capsule of the, these first impressions. And yeah. I mean, we can still go back to, you know, MacBreak Weekly from when the first iPhone was released and, you know, people's expectations before the announcement and impressions after it was announced. And it all sounds so quaint now because of how far we are. Yeah. Remember when Steve showed off the glassy swipe on, on the iPhone and everybody in the audience goes, Whoa. <laughs> yeah, all they did, all they did was swipe. And yeah. well, that's the thing. The, the, what everything we're saying right now will be versions of that quickly. I mean, the iPhone, totally. j- that, j- that announcement just happened. Like, I mean, what it's you know, 10 years ish, but like, yeah. that's really uh, nothing. 16 In, years ago, oh. 16 years ish. Okay. I can't, I can't count anymore, but, um, I mean, <laughs> we're going to have the same impression with, Everything we're talking about now, it's going to seem trivial and quaint. And can you believe we ever, our imaginations were so limited back in 2023. Um, and that's, that's so hard for me to wrap my head around. Where will we be at to be looking back on this as so trivial? I mean, this, maybe this is even why I have a hard time talking about it is I just have such, such a feeling of like, all I want to do is stare up at the sky with my mouth agape. Like I, I don't know yeah. what else to do. It's hard to, I mean, it's so fun to dream. That's like the best feeling. There's so much dopamine that when it happens and you go, oh, because you're, it's, well, this is a, this is a diversion. It's fun to dream, but it also gets in the way of actually making stuff. And that's where there's like a little, a little bit of a trap. Um, I, I, I heard on, uh, I think it was on the Ezra Klein podcast, somebody talking about why does dopamine happen? What's the purpose of dopamine? Um, why does, why do you get a rush of dopamine when, when you're a mouse and you hit the lever and you get a pellet? And then why does that start to decrease over time? You would think that every time you get a pellet, you get the same rush. And the best working theory is that dopamine exists because it happens when we get to change our understanding of our, of we get to change our predictions of the near future based on a new working model, right? That if something happens and it surprises me, and then suddenly I say, okay, there's a larger chance that my future will be happier instead of sadder. 
that creates a rush of dopamine because now I have a new fun understanding of what the future might be. And so we get a rush from that because we're by we're there's an imperative for us to do that because it makes our, our chances of survival higher. But when you stop evolving your model and your understanding of the rules of the, of the world, you're going to stop feeling that rush because your model's already established. And so we're in this incredibly dopamine filled world right now where our models and predictions of the future are getting so inspired every day. It's like the, the it's an unrelenting pace, um, the innovation that's happening. And it feels so good. But at the same time, <laughs> it's preventing people yeah. from like, okay, what do we do with it? Like, what? okay, what? you know, you need to use it. We, that's what the tools exist mm -hmm. for. They're not just to, to be a demo and and make us feel good about the future. We have to actually use them to, to make stuff. That fits in pretty well with, well, a lot of things I think about often. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I had, I had a better response to this. I, th this is actually a lot of the reason I've always known that tech was the right choice for me to be interested in. And actually part of why I'm surprised surprised that it's it feels like a relative still like it's much more popular than it used to be but relatively speaking most people only mildly care about tech news but when you follow that news like apple being a great example every time you check the news it's good news almost like almost whereas if you're following politics it's always bad news right like the, the rest of the world is a, is very up and down right like you don't know what you're going to get when you open a, a, a newspaper but when you flip to the apple section you're like oh cool so it got faster it got smarter it got better it's going to let me do my job better it's a higher resolution like everything is always just this march of progress that becomes addictive for exactly all the reasons that you're talking about and i can't i mean it's hard for me to imagine going uh going back or or, or um i don't know it's just uh like it's such a, I, we are so used to it that it, it also makes me wonder if it blinds us to some of those potential downsides as well, that it's like, we, we are so hooked on this, this progress and this ever evolving, uh, the, these shifts that, I mean, when I, when I hear people that don't like AI talk about like, well, we shouldn't do this or, you know, I don't even know how they, you, you, you phrase it to say like, maybe this is something we shouldn't do. How do you propose doing that when it's that millions of individuals are separately all equally excited about this and are all able to act on it on their own? Like it's not, everything isn't so top down that you could just pull the brakes. Like AI, it, this is happening. So when I've had negative responses, like on Twitter, especially, I mean, maybe this, we can touch on some of the negative responses to image generation. I'm just like, well, what do you want to happen? It's not going to stop. And if I don't, if I'm not doing it, the guy next to me is doing like, we're all doing it. And it's not so clear that it has that the, it's not clear that the impact is negative at all. Like it might be a purely positive impact. So, um, I don't know, I, I, I guess I'd love to circle back to what we were talking about earlier that what's happening with that frustration about image generation and um, maybe the starting places. Have you watched what uh, uh, corridor did with the anime video? Have you seen that with yet? Run using runway ML. Yeah, sure. Well, was it runway? So mostly they were training dream booth on videos of themselves and using vampire hunter D as all of the source material. 
to create an anime style and they applied it to the videos of them. I thought Is, that they were using runway tools. I, yeah. I, I, and they shot oh, okay. themselves on like a lot, a lot of green screens, you know, in costumes yes, and yeah. stuff. Yeah. I thought that that was all runway stuff. Um, there, but I, I mean, I runway might've been involved. I know there's, there's like six different piece moving pieces. It, it a hundred percent wasn't one tool. Uh, they did a super in-depth, uh, if, if you subscribe to their paid platform, they do a, like they refer to it as a click by click walkthrough of everything they did to do it. But the end result is you watch something that basically looks like an anime and it generated some of the most anger I've seen around any of this yet. And to me, it's really, it's just so misplaced. It's exactly the wrong place to be frustrated because for one thing, there's a small independent team. They're not a big studio. They're not pretending that they invented all of this and they're publishing every step of how they do it. They're sharing and educating. And, you know, there are questions about copyright. Absolutely. We, it is good to have those conversations. We should be having them, but it felt like there was this pile on because like they were the first to execute something that looked professional to be, to be just so angry that like, you know, they, what I saw is a bunch of comments is like, they should have hired a team of animators to do this. I'm like, I think that would defeat the, like, maybe that's not the point of this video and it probably wouldn't have happened mm -hmm. because they can't afford a team of animators. That's the right. whole point is now yeah, a small access. indie team can create an anime. Well, I think it's kind of a, like a nuance to the image creation field as opposed to like the, the overall of AI. Um, I think when it comes to the, the, the general AI concern is that people assume that AI will act on its own behalf with its own motivations and not, not exist for our own, for our behalf or for our benefit. Um, and I think that's kind of like, you know, that's where that's fear of it will replace us. That's like, mm, take my jobs, that, that kind of, that kind of fear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, I think that I, I, I would hope that people will shift that. Oh, and also that there's going to be limit to access these tools to, to, for that. Not everybody will have them, that it's only for rich people, for rich people to get richer and that there's an assumption that it will just be too expensive or a limited access. I think that once people understand that the potential of, of these tools is to make, is to gu guide and assist everybody, people will sort of be m more on board Then it, that it's not going to replace us. No matter what your context is, there's a way that AI will help you do things that you're already doing, but easier and more. Since you work in the creative world specifically, I guess like, yeah, how do you see that coming to exist in the, in the exact same things that you're doing right now? Um, and especially specifically, I think it's worth touching on the, the copyright stuff a bit on the image side. Mm -hmm. Um, if you like, would you feel comfortable enough to generate something and use it within, a commercial project you're working on right now? Like wh yes. where would you draw the lines of like, this is this, I wouldn't allow this. I would just overall, how are you thinking about it? Yeah. It's interesting. I'm very protective of my kind of IP, my creative style. And, and I know that sandwich has a style that I helped develop. And I see that style sort of replicated sometimes by others. 
And I kind of get grumpy a little bit about it. And I think that if my style was ever commercialized without my participation, I would find that threatening. Um, so if I'm one of those illustrators or photographers whose work has been modeled, <laughs> you know, uh, and then f made freely available to anybody to reproduce, especially if those people are making money from these reproductions. Yeah, that pisses me off. I think that hopefully what comes out of this fir first wave is more protections of intellectual property. Um, where it's not just wild west and you can basically take anything that you want, you know? Uh, and I think that, you know, fingerprints of whose DNA is in a particular piece of work that has been inspired by another piece of work. Those are hopefully technic technologically, um, traceable in the near future. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes yeah. you can tell you, sometimes you can tell specifically when a, when a reference is so strong and I'm not talking about AI, I'm just talking when you see a uh, world yeah. commercial. Yeah. Human made commercial that's shot exactly like a Wes Anderson movie. You go, okay, well they were inspired by Wes Anderson. Does that, is that unfair? <laughs> you know, um, I saw like there was a Super Bowl commercial. Well, it doesn't matter. I won't get into that. <laughs> um, creative um, theft is what it is. You know? I think the version of this we would all get excited about, hopefully without any hesitation, is the idea that you have a team of artists. They generate new concepts, new new IP, and train the models using human-made IP, and that is able to more quickly generate variations that you may not have time to previously. So I think a great example will be video games where, you know, world building, it's like, okay, well, we need to build a whole town. Every, every house you walk into needs to have teacups. Here's the general style of teacups. And now we can generate 50 variations of it in a moment instead of having an illustrator like drive each individual one. Um, obviously this can apply to filmmaking as well. This can apply to branding. Uh, I mean, so many different areas and hopefully there's always a team or an individual artist that got paid well to be the one training that model. They know why they're doing it. They're doing it for that purpose. And they get the credit for having been the originating artist that is is part of it. That's the that's where we want it to go. Totally, and that's all access. That's that's the democratization of the tools that you and I benefited from in our own in our own business, in our own creative practice. We wouldn't have been able to do what we did if the tools were just as expensive as they were twenty years ago, or or limited. Yeah, no, you know? <laughs> not at all. Right? I have no idea what um, we'd be doing. So how can anybody be mad at that? Like, just like you said, with the outrage at the corridor crew stuff, how can anybody be mad that more people will have access to tools that let them make amazing things now? And I think it's, a, it's totally reasonable to have those conversations right now, but to also acknowledge like, well, this is the wild west at this moment and people that are just experimenting and showing what can be done. I don't think that's where the, the frustration sh should be directed. Showing us what can be done can give us a framework to make the laws or rules or just etiquette moving forward. Um, but I don't think we need to take it out on them for exploring mm -hmm. and pushing those boundaries because no. that's how we're going to discover all this stuff. And I'd much rather quarter do it first than Disney, you know, or somebody that's really going to capitalize it off of it. And, you yeah. know, I, 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 I hope those bigger companies are going to be much more cautious about it because they 
understand the potential IP risks, they wouldn't want to expose themselves to, mm -hmm. to that kind of risk. But, you know, probably what will well, happen first, the first bad example of this will be something, someone relatively independent creating a new piece of I IP that none of us have seen before. Like, you know, maybe it's a comic book and uh, they are not, you know, they mention that it's AI assisted in some way, or maybe they're not open about it. And then later it comes to light after Disney made the movie about it. They're like, oh, we found the where this was trained off of, and it's from some other independent artist that didn't get the credit. That stuff's going to happen for sure, but it's going to be down the road and a little more, I don't know, edge. But um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and AI will assist in all that too, and pattern matching and saying, this is this looks like that, and let's be very careful. And but, but for years, for generations in advertising, if you make uh, a piece of music for a commercial and it's like for broadcast and it's big budget and stuff and it goes to a real big agency, then the agency will hire a musicologist to deconstruct the piece of music and make sure that legally it does not resemble anything that they didn't have license for. I've had to do it on a few commercials. It's actually kind of a fun process and it just gets a stamp of <laughs> approval. Like this is an original right. work. We're not going to get our ass sued yeah. for, oh, for, that's cool. for this. I didn't know it went like that. I mean, I know that exists. There's a great, I was watching the uh, history of the world part two and there's a great joke about a sound alike. So I know that happens, but th that's cool. That's like on every single commercial, somebody needs to sit down and, and look at it. Certainly on the big ones, we just like, nobody can yeah. take the risk. And I think that there will be set, like, especially if it's enabled by our, um, AI, then it'll become common practice. I think that, I think that, uh, authenticity and verification, and I'm not even getting into blockchain stuff. I just think that digital verification that happens automatically will become very common practice in our workflows in the future. And in ways that we sometimes touch lightly or don't touch at all, but I think, and it'll be good. It'll be for the benefit of all of us that make a living like this, um, that we have protections, you know, both from people trying to steal from us and people that we might be stealing from on accident. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I mean, yeah, good point that I would want it to assist me in not, yeah, accidentally taking something that it would throw up warnings that it's like, Oh, this is getting a little clo too close for comfort. Um, let's, uh, we're kind of getting near the end, but before we finish up, I'd like to hear what, like, what would you hope for in the near term? Like, what are some tools that are just on the horizon that you could start using tomorrow? What, what you know, if you were to shift gears and start developing a tool, what's the AI tool that'd be most useful for you? Which I am. I'm like having fun built sort of like playing around with no code tools right now to put stuff together, to bolt stuff together. So I was in a long time ago, I was a FileMaker dork. Um, and <laughs> Why? you know, FileMaker was, uh, an, um, an application for making relational databases and sort of like there was some automation built into it. And just, it was like a no code way of getting data to talk to each other for a specific purpose. And I loved that stuff because I needed it to help me do my first job better out of college. And I sort of like carried that with, with me into the future is that, okay, if you do a job, if you're doing a job for whatever purpose and something is harder than it should be, start dreaming up a tool to help you make that, that task easier. And that's what I'm doing. It, 
And diving back into the world of development a little bit more, it's blowing my mind how many cool platforms there are for what they call, that's the category is no code for building stuff without code. That is actually a work that's like large relational dynamic commercial grade, highly secure. One that comes to mind is bubble.io bubble is a great platform for building basically enterprise grade applications. You could use it just for um, proof of concept. If you want another one is softer S O F T R um, which is like a little bit more templatized, but there's the whole world of APIs out there that say, okay, my data is here. I'm using my hands again. My data is here. My web interface is here. My cloud server is here. Now, without using any code, connect all of them together and make them do a thing or allow other people to come to this site and allow them to do a thing. And not only can I sort of like with some effort used to learn these no code platforms to build something. We're very, very close to be a, being able to tell AI to, to do that for us. And there's a category called tool former, um, of, of AI tool, which is a tool that will learn how other tools work automatically, learn how an API is built and then just do all that for you in the, with the same principles as here's a sketch of a website. Now turn it into code tools that build themselves are on the horizon. And I'm super, super excited about that. Um, yeah. Cause the, the, the promise of that is that anybody can build anything. It's no longer your cousin coming to you and say, Hey, you know, apps, can you, I have an idea for an app, <laughs> you know, I'll split yeah. the profits with you. <laughs> no, I mean, it does. It sounds amazing. It sounds like, I don't know. There's some lame rumors recently of what the Apple VR goggles are going to be and that you'll just speak to them and you can create apps through voice. And I'm like, that sounds dumb, but but well, it sounds unrealistic in the way it was described in the rumors, but the way you describe it is much more, is much more interesting and much more realistic and something that probably is pretty close to the horizon. The version I was experimenting with just last night was making film emulation presets for Lightroom. And I was just amazed that it understood, not it understood what all the Lightroom sliders are. Cause I asked it to say, I said, generate a film emulation preset for Lightroom that resembles Kodak Portrait 400. Um, it, it did. I adjusted all the sliders as it suggested, and it absolutely understands the tone response of that film stock. Because then I went back through afterwards and I was like, okay, show me Fuji Pro 400H. And it got that difference between what Kodak generally looks like and what Fuji looks like and tied that into Lightroom just in the chat bot that is not targeted to do any of this. It's not built to do any of this. Um, so I, that was my very small example of it, but I know it's, you know, already able to do more than that. And, um, no, I'm, I'm going to check out the ones that you mentioned. What was the output that GPT generated? Written the way that a human would, uh, just give instructions to do this. So it's like, open up Lightroom, go to the development tool, move the contrast slider here. Yeah. So you, the API communicated with you, you, you were the, you were, there was an API between GPT you and uh and lightroom that's very cool yeah i i needed to be there to bridge the gap it couldn't uh, sure. generate the xml file yet but yeah um i mean maybe it couldn't i don't know how to tell it to but I, it I might get it be to able it. to i would um, assume that it could yeah 
but it could understand like if I asked it the right way and it totally depended how I prompted it, I'd get totally different results, but I could also have it give me points on the, like on the RGB curves of like, at first it gave me general responses of like lift the highlights and lower the, the shadows, but I asked it to be more specific and it gave me point values to set the curve at, to give it the tonal response of Kodak Portrait 400, which is crazy. Um, it's not that accurate yet, but like it totally gets it. And uh, I, I, I mean, instantly we'll be able to take this further. Yeah. And the innovation in GPT-4 is that it's supposed to get it, to use that term, far better than GPT-3 did. You know, like that's, that's, what say, that's what people are saying is the hugest leap for GPT-4 is that it just knows more. It's smarter about knowing stuff like the law or how Lightroom works or how photography works or how what whatever technical knowledge there is. And it's getting better about not making stuff up too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is that, that one's definitely helpful. What, what I would hope for is the next stage is I, I could really use like a solid, uh, just like life organizer. Like here's look at my emails, tell me when I'm available. That would help a lot. Another one that I'm surprised isn't good yet. Um, the products exist, but none of them that I've seen are good is just basic image retouching. There's all these sort of standard things that you go through when you're like retouching an image for like commercial use. And usually it involves just like, you know, removing blemishes that aren't usually there, uh, fly away hairs. There's all these little things that are totally standard. And I go through and spend, I am still spending exactly as much time on it now in 2023 as when I learned how to do this back in 2005. I mean, the tools, have almost not changed. And I still am sitting there manually clicking and dragging and selecting, even as Photoshop adds AI tools integrated into the program. I can't one click say like, you know, give me a subtle professional looking beauty uh, processing to this image. And it, it still cannot do that. And I am kind of baffled how we haven't quite got there yet because it shouldn't be this hard, but hopefully yeah. those two are on the horizon as well. Well, every app that we use should very soon, if not already, have a bolted on natural language, you know, GPT interpreter right. for what you what you require. But it all goes back to <laughs> what I was talking about in the beginning, which is like, I don't want a different interface on every app that I use. I want them all to have one interface. And that's mine. That's my Scarlett assistant that I used to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so <laughs> the... um. Yeah, no, it's true. I, there's there's something that's been interesting in uh, advances of smart technology up until now as well, especially for creative fields, that a lot of this happens first on the phone, uh, especially thinking about, say, Instagram or that TikTok filter, if you saw that insane recent one that the teenage you know, people one. could like... Yeah, you rub your eyebrow. Well, there's yeah one that made you younger, but another was just a normal like makeup filter. You know, gives you yeah I saw that shapely eyebrows and all that. Yep. But the way it glues to your face is perfect. It really yeah you can't block it. Incredible tracking. Um, yeah, that's all only on phones. There's no professionalized version of this. And the way that filters have worked in Snapchat for years now, I could use that. I really could. That would be helpful for me in video production. But those the professional tools for that are complicated. I mean, if you're going to do that in DaVinci Resolve, you're doing all this intense face tracking that takes a long time on a you know Mac Pro and uh, you have to understand how to change all the parameters where Instagram can do it for free in real time. Um, so I wonder if we're going to see something similar to that where the really 
you know, mass market consumer stuff is just way continues to be way ahead of the professionalized software. That is what I'm actually more excited about, but we're not seeing as much of. Yeah. It's so interesting that there's that dichotomy that exists that, you know, in the stuff that is the stuff that sandwich does in our, in our post department, how frustrating it can be for me on the outside to say like, we'll just make this happen. You know, I can do it easily using this dumb app, you know, we can all make transformers explode, you know, but there's a correct way of doing stuff. Do the basic rotoscoping uh, that a phone will do live, especially the TikTok like green screen filter that just cuts you out with no, there's no green screen behind you just understands that's the human. Here's what I'm going to cut out. Works great to do that on the computer is, I mean, you can do it, but it's super time intensive and you have to pay for a platform and like either use the free app or pay. I don't know. It's just, there's a very weird relationship between those things right now. No, totally. Did you see the one, the teaser that came out a couple days ago, wonder dynamics? Did you see that one? Oh yeah. Yeah. That was basically replaces motion capture over live action. Like, do you think it was a real demo? I would fucking hope so. I don't want to be lied to anymore, <laughs> you know, no, but, it, but just for the listener, it, 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 the demo is you shoot something on, you know, you shoot something with any camera with a, with a phone or with a professional cinema camera in a live action environment with a human performing different motions and actions, whatever, just as a, as a character, not wearing ping pong balls or a green screen suit. And then you throw you probably with text prompts you can you can throw a description of a character a cg character or you can send it an image of a cg character mm-hmm. and it will drop that cg character in performing exactly the same motions as the human did and replacing the human right so it's 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 all it's it's cleaning the the it's doing cleanup of the performer which is incredibly complicated to do and then lighting and animating, modeling, rigging, lighting, and animating a CG character <laughs> and compositing it into the frame. The shocking part to me was the lighting, that it's yeah. able to, I mean, it, that it understands all the the dimensions of the 3D subject in, in, the, in that environment and can determine where light sources are without having like an HDR scan of it. I, I don't, I do not get it. I mean, it's, that's why, no. I, that's why I'm like, this just feels too good to be true. Like we're not there yet. Right. Well, I, th- you know, I got it. So I got to go to Apple headquarters in um, Culver city the Ooh. other day. Mm-hmm. Um, I got invited to a pro workshop that they were doing for photogrammetry and, and the PR team says hello to you, by the way, they said, we love Tyler. Um, oh, and thank you. <laughs> Of course. And, uh, and I, you know, I mentioned that I was going to be on your podcast, et cetera. And the demo that, that I got was pretty cool. They, they invited us to, there were 12 of us there. We, everybody brought in an object. I brought in, um, <laughs> is it from 1992 or about, it's a Sony video Walkman that plays high video, eight, you know, eight millimeter videotapes. This is my object. I put, we put it in a little light box, took video of it with my phone, um, threw that phone into a processing app called PhotoCatch that turned it into a 3D, uh, 3D object, a USDZ, which is an open source format for 3D objects. Then we dropped that 3D object into 
a motion project and yes, motion is still around. (laughs) And then the head of product on motion who was there, Tim, he helps me take the object and relight it against a live action plate background plate, um, which had very specific lighting. So because my object because my video Walkman was universally lit, you know, sort of globally well lit, it allowed us to turn off all that light and then relight it with our, with virtual lighting within the scene in motion. And then, um, basically track it into the plate, a moving plate, and it was a pretty damn good demo for something that had been, sh- yeah. you know, captured on an iPhone and then done within a matter of 15 minutes. I love that crap. That's not even AI. That's just, yeah. Well, yeah. So ph- photo catch, did you, cause you've used Luma AI as well. Did you see, cause it's not creating a nerf. It's creating, no, a, it's not creating a tra- nerf. more it's, traditional photo scan. Yeah. yeah. It's very traditional. It's basically photogrammetry capturing the image and the geometry at the same time and then projecting the projecting the, yeah. the the RGB pixels onto the mo- onto the model right. so it just like really easily generates the model. I mean, I've loved that stuff since forever and it's always been useless to me. Like I've been using Polycam since it came out and <laughs> right. I just scan right. things and never yeah. look back at it. Like I I don't know what to do with it. I'm just like right. someday I'm going to want to walk through my old bedroom in 3D. <laughs> oh, it's um, a so classic scanning stuff, but It's see it's a classic and even being there with the Apple people, it's a classic we can't wait to see what you do with this. You know, even the GPT guy, right. GPT, like I roll my eyes. It's like a bingo card thing. Every demo, every keynote, we can't wait to see what you do, which is code for, yeah. we have no idea what to do with this. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> you know, we hope it'll be useful someday. <laughs> I call, I yeah. call a moratorium on, we don't, we can't wait to see what you, what you do with this. But I do have a feeling that it's going to be used frequently in AR stuff, you know, with the glasses mm-hmm. coming out that there will be a need for consumers to turn physical objects. Well, that's not a good example because it's clear plastic, but or clear glass turn objects into 3d models so that they can be projected into the, into well, the physical space. I was glad that I, I finally did have, I did use one real world version. I talked about it on your podcast. So a reminder, Everybody go listen to all consuming, but using Luma AI, I did a scan of the computer here in the studio for um, my MacBook Pro review. And I just, you know, circled it a bunch of times, got a good 3D scan of the object and of the space. Then I created a physically impossible camera move as the opening shot where it swirled around the computer and went up into the ceiling, which, you know, I can't physically get there. And it's not the best shot in the world, but most people didn't say anything about it. Like, I think it generally just kind of passed. A few people asked how I shot that video. Um, I think m- most people just, just accepted it as video. Um, and that's on a relatively new, like, I mean, or pr- what's going to be a primitive version of it. Like it is moving quickly and already looks a lot better than that one that I used. So I think there will be, we are going to be able to use this within within a year, I think it's going to sh- be able to show up in standard productions. Um, there was also a McDonald's commercial. Um, I don't remember her last name. Karen is this one. Influencer Karen that, Chang, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I always forget her last name and her work. I mean, just everybody follow her. Cause like, she's one of these people that I love that passion for like something's new. What can I do with it? And she did a McDonald's commercial where they shot it on an Alexa, did the scan and ingested it into Luma AI. And it looks like a cinematic version of these photo scans or nerfs that we're talking about, where then afterwards you can just manipulate the camera and create the move as long as you've scanned it well 
in the moment. And I, I just love this. Yeah. Stuff. So my, my question for you on that, and we touched on this on all consuming a little bit is right now we're in this moment in technology where there's, a, there's professional cinema and photography that is made with like highly skilled, skilled people and expensive equipment. And then there's everything else on social on TikTok that looks like garbage all the time. And that's part of the fun of it. That's kind of like what makes it so enjoyable to watch is that it's just tossed away. It's just, it's so disposable and it's garbage, but it's really entertaining. And, and I'm wondering whether, whether you think there's a time when the tools to do Karen X Chang style work will become so accessible to make look as good as what she's doing that the garbage is that it goes away. Like it either goes in one direction or the other. Does the cinematic work go away and everything has to look like garbage in order to feel authentic or does the well, garbage stuff start to look like cinema and everything feels expensive? I think, I think we're already on a path with that, that the garbage stuff looks cinematic. Like iPhones are moving fast and there's, there's a lot of situations you know, if you just kind of walk around shooting them, you'll usually always spot the iPhone. Um, it, it just behaves in certain ways that, that bigger cameras don't, but Apple could make a few key choices that would guide it towards something that would absolutely look <laughs> not indistinguishable, but like, like a big camera, you know, that they are converging and the, the cheap stuff is going to look great really quickly. I think the best example, and I always, I, I want to talk to somebody from that worked on this, but the cinematic mode announcement video where they did the Ryan Johnson knockoff, they did the little whodunit, um, with the focus pulling back and forth between the characters. I still go back. I watch that. I'm like, are they using the native camera? App? Like, are you, they, are they using a normal iPhone or are they running some special, special software on here? Because they're getting like a tone response that I don't typically see from an iPhone. Uh, looking at the way that the sharpness is behaving, it's like yeah. they're able to scrape away some of that over sharpening. And I'm just like, I, how did they treat this and get that look out of it? I would assume that they're using Filmic Pro, which is which gives you access to all kinds of controls that the you know that the normal app doesn't, and that they're heavily post processing it. But you know. but it doesn't support cinematic mode. Hmm. The cinematic mode. That that depth understanding is only in the native camera. Is that right? So, oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. And and I'm sure that they sh they shot it just before the announcement of the of ProRes. So I'm sure they were using ProRes just before it was released. But ProRes doesn't give you that access either. You can't you can't really ch the image basically looks the same. You just have less compression, so you get less artifacting and stuff. But like the colors are effectively the same. There's a significant difference. So anyway, I'm. I, I want to know and I want everything I do to look like that. But I guess my point is, is if you look at that video, once everybody can get that look kind of all the time, you know, it's just going to be a matter of what story you decide to tell. That was, that was your comment on the podcast as well. But like, it's all about like, just like, what do you want to make? That's how good it was. That's the limitation, you know, what's, what's the idea you had or what's the idea that chat GPT gave you for this, <laughs> yeah. for this viral video. What's the idea that the algorithm felt like you would enjoy them. Oh, so th I mean, this is going to be, I guess this can't be a five hour show, but like, this is going to be the weird thing. We're going to have dueling algorithms of like, okay, there's an algorithm like chat GPT is going to understand the TikTok algorithm and is going to be able to suggest ideas that will optimize to viewership algorithms. 
Like mm-hmm. there's no reason that can't happen right away and can suggest things that will be more popular and like, mm-hmm. okay, well you sh- your next commercial should be like this because we saw that it got more views. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? Like is the, the snake eats its tail, you know, I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's coming too fast. Yeah. And now the, the show's already silence. expired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. On that note, is this um, an okay place to sort of bring it to a close? I have to take my kids to uh to a doctor absolutely. appointment. Yeah, no. Thank you so much, Adam. I really appreciate it. There's nobody better I could have talked to about this stuff. Um I'm glad to hear you're following Likewise. it more closely than I realized. Again, Adam Lescore, sandwich video, all consuming. Check out everything that he does. Yeah. Uh, sandwich.co is where you would go to see the work. And my new my <laughs> I used uh I used GPT to help me make a website for sandwich.ai as well. <laughs> of course you did. Okay. I'm going to go look at that now. Awesome. Thanks, man. Oh man, Tyler, what a pleasure. Thank you. 